Good morning. You all made it out in this weather. I'm proud of you. Yes, it's good to have you out in the house of the Lord this morning. And I'm in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. Uh, I'm in a series here just at the beginning of the year. It's called Fiat Lux. And that, that's a Latin phrase that means a flash of light, like a burst of inspiration. I found a lot of times that's where wisdom comes to me, just in a moment like that. And you know, I've spent the first month of the year just highlighting the subject of wisdom because you need wisdom for the times that we're living in. It is just lacking in society. You know, I, I like to listen to NPR in the car sometimes, and I'm telling you, those jokers cannot help but talk about some transgender issue every time you're on the radio. It's incredible to me. We, we got a society today that is just adrift in, in this sea of uh, weirdness in the world today. So you need wisdom in the days that we live in. Isn't that right? Deuteronomy chapter 4, and I want to read verse 5 and 6. Here's what the Bible says, Deuteronomy 4. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land to which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. who hear all these statutes and say, surely... This great nation is a wise and understanding people. Let's pray. All right, Father, I just thank you for your wisdom. I pray, God, that your people today would be encouraged, enhanced, edified. I thank you, Lord, for uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we'd walk in truths and your precepts and know what to do. And Lord, I just pray for bursts of inspiration in, in, in the hearts and the minds of people as we study the scriptures. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. I'm not going to lie, sometimes the snow makes me sad, but not today. Today I'm happy with snow. I mean, it is okay to have a little bit of winter in winter, and I, I, we need, we need the, the snow. But the other reason I'm pretty happy is because after the service is the NFL playoffs. And, you know, I, I, uh, I used to live in Kansas City, Missouri. I hated it because I'm a Broncos fan. I could not get away from Chiefs fans, and that is why today I'm picking the Bengals. Uh, you should not take my football pick seriously, though, because I picked Tom Brady a few weeks ago, and he lost. So, <laughs> Speaking of football, you know, the Super Bowl is coming up, and uh, when it comes up, Super Bowl Sunday, that's two weeks from now, we're going to give out a gift card to the best-dressed fan, all right? So if you show up with a jersey on, uh, you, you could be blessed that morning. Uh, so I just want to, you know, you can be festive. Some people celebrate Christmas. People like me celebrate the Super Bowl. You know, uh, I didn't like Kansas City because I had some friends one time, and they just pushed me into making bad decisions, bad financial decisions. I don't remember the circumstances as to how we were there. I was out with some friends from work. They went down to one of those vintage clothing stores, and someone talked me into buying a smoker's jacket for like 75 bucks. And, and so, you know, I, I bought this thing. I don't, I don't even smoke. I don't know why I bought it. So when I got home you know, from Kansas City, and I was like, what am I going to do with that? I looked around, and you know, there was a, a vintage clothing store downtown, and I took it to the lady. I was like, hey, will you buy this off of me? And so she paid me 12 bucks for it. <laughs> now, when you spend 75 and your return of investment is 12, like, you know, and you've lost money, <laughs> that means you just need some wisdom with money. Huh? Yeah, so, you know, that, that's, that's what I want to talk about today. Not only do you need wisdom with your friends, we said that last week, but you need some wisdom with your money. Come on, somebody. Uh, let's look at verse number six right here. He said, I want you to be careful and observe. For the Lord, this is your wisdom, is that keeping your understanding in the sight of the peoples. 
So what the scripture tells us here in, in this sixth verse is that keeping God's commandment is the essence of wisdom. I mean, when, when he said careful to observe them, it's your wisdom and your understanding, that, that, that is the essence of what God is saying. And if you want wisdom, you're going to have to know the Bible, keep his word in your heart. I like what the psalmist said in Psalm 19. He said that keeping your word is a warning and in keeping your word, there's great reward. There's a warning and there's a reward. And I'm just telling you, in the times that we live in, you need to know God's word. It is your wisdom. You know, it's, it, that's what the Lord put in my heart at the very beginning of the year, 2023. He, he said, you're going to need wisdom for this year. I've already seen that play out. And that might have been a personal word for me, but I've just been telling everybody about it. Man, you need wisdom in the times that we're living in. Because these are serious times in the world. And a lot of people lack wisdom. They lack common sense in situations. And the great, beautiful, wonderful thing about God's wisdom is that it is readily available to you in the moment you need it. It's available when you ask him for it. He said, you can ask me, and I'll give you wisdom liberally. It's right there when you need it. He'll give you wisdom for your problems. He'll give you wisdom when it comes to dealing with people. And he'll give you wisdom, as I'll show you this morning, about how to deal with finances, how to deal with wealth. And I'd like you to go over to the book of Deuteronomy. Or we're in Deuteronomy. Let's go to Deuteronomy 14, just a few pages later. And I really felt impressed to just highlight some passages of Scripture from the Old Testament. And I want to just talk to you about having uh, wisdom with wealth and how to handle money. And, you know, it's a funny thing when you are the preacher, when you have to preach the message, it is inevitable that you walk through something. I found it in that week. That, that will highlight it to you. Because last week I was hi highlighted some things about relationships, things I walked through. And this morning, I just want to teach you a little bit about what it means to handle money. Because in the times we're living in, man, you got to know how to handle it. Now, I want to start in the 22nd verse. Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. He said, you shall truly tithe all of the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. So the first point I want to make about wisdom is that you got to put God first. That, that's what the tithe is called. It's called the first portion. And that first part is the holy part. It's, it's what belongs to God. It's what's set apart. Proverbs chapter 3 says that when you honor the Lord with the first of your possessions, that's when God will bless the rest of it. You, you, you honor God with the first. Watch what he does. I think tithing so adequately demonstrates God's wisdom because it seems like the most foolish thing. I mean, the idea that you want to take the portion of the increase of your field, of the increase of your hard labor, and, and rather than go to paying bills and getting things squared away, that you honor God with the first part of it. It just seems like, man, that's a place where, you know, why would people do that? It's foolish. But, you know, the foolishness of God is wiser than men because he has this amazing ability to bless you. And it's the only place in the Bible, Malachi 3, where God said, test me in this, is with the tithe. He said, just try it. Get, give it a shot. See if I don't open up for you windows and of heaven and bless you. And I, I can teach this because I have been a lifelong tither. All my life, I've been tithed. I tithed when I was a knuckleheaded, rebellious teenager because I wanted God to bless my beer money and parties. And God did such a great job of blessing it. I can stand before you today as the man of God. Isn't that right? I mean, he redeemed me out of it. 
I'm just telling you, I know it works. Yeah. I've experienced two things when it comes to tithe. I've experienced, first of all, that God is faithful, that he's there with me every step of the way. He, he, he's come through in moments when I've needed him, moments when I was like, oh, what are we going to do? But I tithe, and I know that God would take care of me. And I've experienced his supernatural hand. I mean, there's moments when I'm like, I don't know how we got through that, but I know that God did it. And I think we're in a moment in the world right now where you need supernatural help from the Holy Spirit when it comes to handling money. So, you know, when we talk about tithing, the, 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 the first place we could start at is, is the purpose of tithing. It really is about developing your trust in God. It, it's about me saying, God, I trust you enough that I'm going to put you first. My faith is growing. And I have gotten to a place where I don't really worry nearly as much about money as I used to. Because I've seen God come through so many times in so many ways. And it's like, I just trust him. I know he's got me. I know he'll cover me. I've got little children to take care of, but I'm a child of God, and he watches over me. And, and it's like, I can rest in that. Now, another practical thing. So the purpose of it is to grow your faith. The, the, a practical thing with tithing is, is that it's what actually enables the work of the ministry to take place. If you jump down to verse 29, now I'm in Deuteronomy 14, 29. He said, the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with him. So in, in Bible days like that, what they had was the tribes had an allotment of land, but God gave the Levites their own towns. It was, it was uh, mercy towns where, where, where you could go to. That's, that's what the Levite had. They had a town where they lived in. They didn't have the fields and the resources. And so he said, because they don't have that inheritance, he said, same thing for strangers, the fatherless and the widow who are within your town, in your community. He said that they can come eat and be satisfied. That the Lord may bless the work of your hand, which you do. So what tithing does is it supports the work of ministry. Now, you know, people often criticize the idea of tithing because they say, well, I don't really clearly see it in the New Testament. And in the cross-references of your Bible, when you're reading through this passage, it takes you to a wonderful verse. Seems 9, 13 tells us. Verse 9, verse 13 and 14. I think we have that on the screen. And what 1 Corinthians 9, 13 tells us is that... In, no, you, here, I'll read it for you. Do you not know that those who minister of the holy things, that eat the holy things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? He's talking about Levites. And he said in verse 14... He said that even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So what the verse is telling us here is that in the same way that they would apply tithing in the Old Testament, it's the same way that New Testament ministry is propagated. It's what supports the work of the ministry. And he, he said in the passage of Scripture, it's what supports the Levites. So that's like pastors. That's you know church workers. It says if, if you live by the ministry... Uh, then, then you should be supported by the ministry. That's also what First Timothy chapter 5 says. It says that those who labor among you are worthy of double honor. And I remember one time I was traveling with a friend of mine who had been in the ministry, and, and, and he said he didn't, couldn't see anywhere where the Bible supported ministers being paid. I thought of two verses. I just showed you two verses where it says that that takes place. And, you know, I have to be honest, man. Teaching the Bible is like a lost art in the culture today. Because you go to many places, and scriptures are, are very mentioned, little mentioned, not taught so much. But the Bible has an impact that it makes in the culture. It, it, Bible teaching is how people know how they should honor elderly people. It, it's how you should know how to have some self-control in your life. It, it's, it's the way that you learn how to love people and forgive people, because you're 
learning the scripture. So it makes an impact in the culture. And by having ministers supported, you're able to teach the Bible to people. You know, I, I, uh, I remember one time just feeling like I wasn't making an impact, didn't feel like it was, you know, effective. And, and so I sometimes have diminished what I've thought about. And I came across the Bible verse in James 3 and verse 1 that says Bible teachers, pastors, leaders are going to receive a stricter judgment. So evidently God thinks enough about it to say if you're going to teach it, you're going to be held to a higher account. So there's something about it that's very valuable. It changes culture. It's the teaching of God's word that, that can help you know, straighten out a very confused society. When he talked in the passage in Deuteronomy 14 about helping strangers in the land, man, I'll, I love the story. You've probably heard me say it. Some of you haven't. About the day maybe five years ago when I'm in the office, Elizabeth's with you know, our little kids in there, and we got a lady who walked in with a broken English accent asking for help. I mean, she's carrying a baby with her, and she's, she said, you know, all she could say is help. So, you know, Elizabeth was feeling her out, and she said she needed some money and some help, and we weren't quite sure what to do it. Sometimes when people walk in your door, you have to be a little, you know, like skeptical, find out what's going on, read them. In this case, you know, we found out it was a couple who had immigrated here from Hungary. They got a visa to come here. They ended up in Sacramento. In the process of trying to get ahead, they went out for work in Minneapolis. That didn't pan out for them. They had to get back for a visa appointment. They showed up at our church. And they had four kids in the car, a man and his wife. So Daniel, I love Pastor Daniel back there. <laughs> Daniel starts talking to him. He finds out the story. And come to find out, they had no money. They had no food. The car was falling apart. They had no gas. What are we going to do in that situation? They're asking for help. They said they're Christians. That's why they came to churches. They said, we went to a church, and they told us, yes, we'll help you. But when the crowd of people left, the pastor said, I don't have any money. I can't help you. And then he went to the next church, and they said, no, we can't help you. And this is the place they showed up because they were about to run out of gas. I don't even know how they found us. So we said, you know what? We're going to do what Jesus said. We're going to be the Good Samaritan. We uh, got that car fixed put them in a hotel while it was being fixed, got them some groceries, fed them, filled it up with gas, sent them on their way. And I knew when we did that, I thought to myself, oh, man, we are going to get this building paid off. <laughs> I had this sense. Because I know that when you bless people, God will take care of you. Orphans, widows, that's what he talks about here. That's benevolence, man. I can't tell you how many times we sat down with somebody and helped them out financially, and when you make a significant investment to help pay rent, or help a mortgage, or help someone get out debt in a situation. It has multiplied back to us in incredible ways. And I'm so blessed to be able to do that as a church. That's, that's part of the reason why we exist, is to be a blessing to help people. And we help people the first time the policy is, we'll help you with something. But after that, we require you take some classes, get some information about it. We don't want to just give you fish, we want to teach you how to fish. And, and that comes because generous people like you tithe and support the work of the ministry so we can be a blessing in the community. It's where the scriptures are taught. It's how people, you know, can get out of situations, get some help. It's so we can help the stranger, needy people who show up. And, and I love being able to do that. It is a joy. So the first thing you got to know about having wisdom with your wealth is to put God first. Honor him with that. Watch what God does. Now, here's a second thought about it. Look at Deuteronomy 15 and verse 1. At the end of every seven years, 
You shall grant a release of debt. Woo, that one sounds good, doesn't it? Here's what, this, here's what you ought to understand about wealth strategy number two. Do not become enslaved by debt. This is taught in the Bible. And debt, according to Scripture, is bondage. This is Proverbs 22. The borrower is subject to the lender. When you owe something to somebody, the Bible says it's a, tri- a type of entrapment or enslavement. That's why in the New Testament it says the only thing you ought to owe people is to love them. Just ought to love people. It's the debt that I owe somebody is in, to love on. Now, in America, you know, we got a culture of debt. But in ancient Bible days, they had a debt reduction strategy. At the end of seven years, everyone could get out of debt. This is a much better social welfare program, much better safety network than welfare and unemployment insurance in America today. And the Bible had numerous of these, you know, social nets for people. I mean, it had plans. Like, it had, you know, this law is called the law of the Sabbath year. We'll read about the law of the bondservant here in a little bit. That was another societal thing they did to help people, the law of the lever at marriage. In other words, if you had a family member who died, uh, they would, by law, marry the closest relative so that the inheritances could be passed along. They wouldn't be lost. It, it helped ensure people had wealth. And, and then they had the gleanings of the field. They wouldn't eat up all the sides of the field. They were left for the orphan and for the stranger and to help people eat when they were impoverished. So in Scripture, in the Old Testament, they had a number of ways where they could help people so they wouldn't get too far behind and things and stay out of debt. So that was their culture. The American culture today is to maximize debt and leverage everything to the hilt. And, and I, I was doing some studies on how in debt we are as a people. And you can start with the national debt. 31 trillion and counting. And that's just what they have on paper. That isn't even the unfunded liabilities they've got you in the hole with. And, you know, you're hearing about it in the news this week. They're going to talk about it, how they're having, you know, talks about the, the debt you know, ceiling and how to handle that. And all we have is a bunch of people who love to spend your money because they don't know how to have any self-control. So it starts at the top. But when you break down the numbers, I was on Dave Ramsey's website. The average American is $14,000 in credit card debt. That's average. The average American has $58,000 in a liberal arts degree that's going nowhere. Fifty-eight grand. The average American owes $31,000 on a depreciating vehicle that they like to show off. I'm just telling you where a lot of people live at. And, and it's like, man, you think some of that's crazy. That's where we are in the world. And it's because people lack self-control. How much of that is being lost in interest and places you'll never get back? Now, I, I don't always say that debt is necessarily a bad thing. Because you know, most people have a mortgage. That is the world we live in. But if that debt is tied to something that is an appreciating asset, that's what a home is. It's, it's, it's an asset that's almost a hedge against inflation. And, and it's, it's sort of helping you it, it retain value. And, but, you know, a lot of times people get so caught up in debt with cards, with, with their vehicles. I was watching a TikTok trend where young people were going around and talking about how much they're making on car payments in an attempt to justify their stupidity. I mean, you got people making $800 car payments, $1,000 car payments, and, and, and none of that is accruing in value. That's all lost. You know, that's a mortgage payment for something. So if it's tied to an asset like this building, you know, when we 
bought this place, we had to take a loan on it, but we had the other property, which, you know, I had a pastor. He said, how in the world do you owe $700,000 in the building? And I said, it's because we have a piece of property that can pay it off. Oh, well, that would make sense. And I'm glad the Lord did that. And in times like this, I'm grateful to be out of debt. Look, look at verse number six. He said, the Lord, your God, will bless you as he promised you. You know, some people read that, and they can't, they can't even fat. They, they, they choke up when they read it. Because they really don't believe that God wants to bless them. They, they, they view him as hard and angry. and they, they don't see that his ability is to be good to you. And he will bless you in ways that, that you can't repay him for. I mean, I, I think about what happened to Elizabeth. You know, I got to brag about that last week. I got a phone call from my friends at Christians United for Israel who said, we want to do the first ever pastor's wives inaugural trip to Israel, and your wife is on the very first crew we want to take. Will you let her go to Israel? <laughs> I was like, for 10 days? You mean you want me to watch the kids? <laughs> I had to pray about that. They only gave me four hours to make that decision, so we couldn't pray very long. We said, all right. <laughs> but man, that's a blessing. God wants to bless you. Look at this sixth verse. He, he said, you will lend to nations, but not borrow. And you will reign over nations, but they will not reign over you. Now, Strong nations are nations that have populations that are not impoverished by debt, not laden by debt. And in America, for many years, you know, we've had the strongest middle class in the world. I mean, if you're middle class in America, you have a higher, anyone in America, you have a higher middle, you have a higher standard of living than a medieval king. You got a heat at home, you got running water, probably you got a fireplace. Uh, and a television set, I mean, your, your, your living standards are way better than they were thousands of years ago. And it's an incredible thing that the American middle class, that's where most people live, has propagated you know, so much wealth for people in the world. And, and th what we have right now, though, in the nation, there is an agenda among globalists to weaken the wealth of this nation. And now you've got politicians who are you know, prospering on the decline of a society. They're passing laws that they can get rich on that hurts people. And, and so when you look at the world, you got to get out of debt so you can have some safety for yourself, so you can prepare, because it's like in the time that we're living in right now, a weak country is a country filled with people who, who are in debt to situations. I mean, think about that. There's an agenda to try to take it away. I was talking to one friend this week. He told me, he said, I'm not really worried about the collapse of the dollar. They've been doing that for the last 30 years. <laughs> you just have to deal with it. I thought that was a brilliant thought. Your strategy is to stay on budget. Your strategy is to get out of debt. Your strategy is to live below your means. And in doing that, you can protect yourself and stay strong in difficult times. Get out of debt. See how quiet it is. Let's talk about number three. Verse number seven. He said, if there is among you a poor man of your brother within any of the gates of your land, which the Lord has given you, he said, you should not harden your heart, nor your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, for whatever he needs. Let me give you a third strategy about how to handle money, how to have wisdom with money. And it means to have pity on the poor. 
you know, that means you have compassion. It means you have kindness. It means something inside your heart has mercy on people who are in difficult situations. I like Proverbs 19, 17. It says that when you lend to the poor, you're lending to the Lord and he will repay you. There's, this is an overlooked wealth strategy, is when you remember the poor. That is what got Ebenezer Scrooge in trouble with the ghost of Christmas Prince. I mean, he was not willing to remember the poor at all. I've watched the video many times with my wife who loves Christmas. I know. <laughs> Remembering the poor. Generosity is a matter of the heart. That's why he said don't harden your heart. Have a soft heart. The Bible calls it a willing heart, a willing mind. And God says if your heart is willing, if it's open, it's acceptable in the eyes of God. You know, I remember I was working... Uh, 20-some years ago at a car wash in February, the month of February. I remember. It was cold out. And, you know, I had a friend I was witnessing to, and the guy, he didn't want to hear me at all. He was a teenager. He went to senior high, and he didn't want to hear anything I had to say about it. And one day, I saw a man pushing a golf cart in the back alley, you know, or a, a, a shopping cart. And I felt like I needed to give him half of the sandwich I had and a couple bucks. I went out there. I just... You know, I got tip money, and, and here's a sandwich, and he was so thankful. I didn't know this, but the guy did, wouldn't listen to me watch the whole thing. And he said, after I, he told me, he said, listen, I saw what you did, and he said, that really impressed me. I want to hear more about what you believe. One, one little thing that touched his heart, because the poor were remembered, opened up a door to share the gospel. You know, the, the verse here in chapter 15 is an interesting thing, because as long as you're in the earth, as long as you live in this world, there will be poor people. That's what the 11th verse says, Deuteronomy 11, 15. He said, the poor you'll have with you always. The, the poor of the land will not cease. That's the verse Jesus quoted in John 12, verse 8. Because as long as you're on this earth, that's part of the result of the curse. You know, when, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and God said, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to have to make a living. And so there are people in this world who struggle, who are impoverished, and sometimes it isn't even their fault. Sometimes it's just circumstances. Sometimes they're born into it. Sometimes it's a mindset. But it happens. But I do have good news for you because I like what the Bible says in the book of Galatians. It says, I have been redeemed from the curse of the law. So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon me, which simply means as a believer in Jesus with a renewed mind, and the ability to put God first in your life. You don't have to live in poverty. I'm telling you, in this, in this kingdom that we have, in the covenant we have with God, He can bless you. Because you know what real prosperity means? Prosperity does not mean that I have just enough needs for me and my family. That's the point of the verse. Prosperity means I can meet the needs of someone else. I can be a blessing to them. That's what he's telling us here in the book of Deuteronomy. He said, if you see someone who's in need and who's poor, don't harden your heart. Open up your heart to him. That is the essence of the Bible. I mean, to love people, you should have enough that you're able to be a blessing and help somebody else. Man, I can't wait for the next time a, 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 a person with broken English accent shows up at church. <laughs> I'm watching. I'm ready. I, I, I mean, you know... Listen, there's always an opportunity. There's always someone to find. It doesn't mean every person. It means there are certain moments and situations in life where someone is in need and God 
might call you to be a blessing to them. I love that. The poor of the land. Now, if you're not middle class, say you live below the poverty line, and there's a Bible town called Lodabar, like below the standard of living. <laughs> if you live Lodabar, in America, you're still in the top 90 or five, the top 5% of wealth in the world. This I know because I've been to places like Nepal and uh, India and, you know, on the border, uh, the border of Jordan and Israel. I mean, it's, it's incredible. You ever been to Suarez, Mexico? I, I mean, they're living in mud huts, man. And I'm about to go to Pakistan. You heard me talk about the Pac-100? And, you know, this, this whole idea is that we're going to advance. And I think we're going. I mean, he hadn't hit me back yet. It's, it's one of those things that's sort of in flux. This is a very third world place. And I think about it like, man, what an opportunity. And we're going to reach people who haven't been reached. And the greatest thing you can do for someone is to have the gospel preached to them. That's what Jesus said. He said the poor have the gospel preached to them. When you give to support missions to people who can never pay you back, that's when God looks down from heaven and blesses them. I'm telling you, it's good seed to sow in, in the field of the world that's wide open. You know how many millions of people live in Pakistan and in India where they're impoverished beyond what you could imagine, and God cares about those people and loves them. And I'm excited about the opportunity to reach them for the Lord. So, Lord willing, we're going there in March, and we're going to get a lot of souls with us. It's going to be a great thing for the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm just telling you that if you will remember the poor, if you will not harden your heart, if you will take the little that you have and be conscious to bless somebody else, it is a strategy for having wealth in your life. This is straight out of the pages of the Bible. Put God first, get out of debt, remember the poor. Let me give you a fourth thought, which has to do with the law of the bondservant. And this is, this is a strange Bible uh, verse. It's also found in the book of Exodus chapter 21. In the Bible, when a person was so in debt that they had nothing else to do, they could willingly indenture themselves into slavery to somebody else. You think that sounds horrible. You think that's unjust. It's more merciful than a debtor's prison. That's what they did in England. That's why Australia is populated by old British people. Because it was people who couldn't pay their bills. They got so crowded in prison, they shipped them on boats away from their families. That's not merciful. It's more merciful than a 30% credit card charge that's accruing all the time that you can never pay off. So in Bible days, what they did was they offered this welfare system. Look at verse 16. It happens that if someone who's in debt says, uh, I will not leave my master because he loves me, and, and since I'm working in his house, I'm prospering with him. This law says if you're in debt, you go work for someone as a servant, in verse 18, he said, It shall not seem hard to you as a master to send him away free from you, for he's been worth a double hired servant in serving you for six years. At the end of six years, you could get that release of debt, or you could stay there as some people did for a lifetime. And he said, If you do that, the Lord will bless you in all that you do. When I read this, this verse, the law of the, the bondservant here in Deuteronomy 15, it reminds me of what Jesus said in the Golden Rule. And this is the point. You've got to learn how to live by the golden rule. If you want to have wealth in your life, learn how to apply this verse. Do unto others as they do for you. You've got to love your neighbor as yourself. That verse actually originated. You are in the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 19. 
And it, it's this idea that when, when you are a blessing to someone else, because you know what the law of the bondservant stipulated? It stipulated that you had to treat somebody with compassion. It's, it, it ensured that whoever the master was, they had to treat them with fairness, with kindness, with a compassion in their heart. You couldn't be abusive. Yeah. So when we talk about the golden rule, we talk about blessing people. Here's what you've got to understand about people. That's why I love people. People are the greatest resource that you have. People are the most incredible resource. They have given me, my friends, my relationship, have given me so much insight, so much wisdom, answers to problems, solutions to situations. I'm grateful for insight. I've had people tell me, don't date that girl. And I'm glad I listened to him. I wouldn't be married to Elizabeth. That was some good wisdom, man. I, I've had them tell me, you know, don't buy that car. They could look it over. That, that's a resource. I didn't have to spend thousands of dollars trying to fix something. I, I mean, when it comes to working on a home, I've had some help from people saying, don't make that mistake. And that is a resource that helps me so much. And, and I'm so grateful uh, for relationships around me. I, I mean, I honor people. I appreciate people. That, that is a wealth secret. Because here's what the golden rule is. When it comes to people, you are going to reap what you have sown. And God will give it back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over, are men going to put in your bosom. When you have been generous and kind with people, they will be that way with you. That's a universal principle. It works with money. It works with people. You know, when you sow finances and you're generous that way, they will come back to you. You know, that's... You know, the, the pack 100 thing we're doing is, is the largest seed we've ever sown at one chunk. And it's, it's come from a couple years of us saving and putting it together and, and people giving. And, and I just believe it's going to pay off many times back. Last year, we gave about 16, 17% from the ministry because the place has paid off. We just feel like we have an obligation to do that. And I love talking to Pastor Daniel about it because he sees the return of investment. Every year we've given more and every year we've had more come in. It always works like that. The more you give, the more you'll get back. And it's the same thing with people. When you love people, when you bless people, when you forgive people, when you are kind to people, you'll get it back. Good measure. Pressed down, shaking together, running over. They're going to put in your heart. You know what I love about going through Old Testament passages like this? Is that the gospel is revealed in the Old Testament. And this passage of Scripture, the law of the bondservant, is no different. If you read the writers of the New Testament, you read Paul, you read Peter, you read James, you read Jude. They all start their epistles like this, Paul, a bondservant, Peter, a bondservant, and James, a bondservant, because you know what they got the idea? That they too were in debt. They had a debt they could not pay, and that debt was the burden of sin. Listen, man, we, we sang that this morning. Uh, we all had a debt that we couldn't pay, but we have a Savior named Jesus who paid that debt. And as a result, someone who's a bondservant says, I'm going to stay with my master forever. That's what it means to be a bondservant. It means I'm going to give my life over to the Lord because he paid a debt that I could not pay. I'll never be able to pay that sin of my own. But Jesus paid it, and I am willingly indentured into his service. That's how I feel as a minister. It's a little bit like being in the mafia. I'm too deep in to get out. I, 
am a bondservant. I have willingly given my life over to the Lord. I cannot look back. I'm, I, I, I am his, and he is mine, and, and, and that is the bondservant law. And I'm telling you, when you learn how to just say, Lord, I'm giving my life to you, and he will start leading you to bless someone and love someone, that, that's how wealth comes into your life. It's through people. It's through relationships. It's through God's goodness being poured out. Mm. I am so grateful. I'm grateful I have new friends who don't have me do things like buying smoker's jackets anymore. <laughs> it's good to get a new group of people I'm listening to. But maybe this morning you need some wisdom with money. Anyone Anyone ever feel like they could use some wisdom when it comes to money? And I'm telling you, and, and you need it right now. Yeah. So let me ask you some questions. Do you put God first? If not, why? Why is it people don't die sometimes? It's, 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 maybe it's because you are afraid. You don't feel like he'll come through. You really don't think that he'll be there to meet it. Um, maybe it's because you've been taught wrong. Don't see it there. Don't see that in the Bible. But he did say, try me. And I just want to encourage you, man. This is a time to be serious and all in with the Lord. You want to get your finances in order? It starts by putting God first, the first things first. So ask yourself that question. What, what is my attitude towards giving to the Lord? Uh, do, do, you, um, do you have a debt strategy, a debt reduction strategy? You know, I, Elizabeth and I, we paid off a student loan bill that was so significant. I was so grateful to get that paid off, man. We, we went hard after that. And I'm grateful that that got alleviated. We, we followed through. We, we had a budget. We stuck with it. Having a debt reduction strategy might mean that you have to get a second job sometimes. I've, I've done that. I mean, that's just part, part of going through things. A debt reduction strategy. How are you going to get out of debt? What changes can you make right now? Because... It is such it, it's such a crazy time. As you know, it's a difficult time. But you've got to have a strategy to get out of debt because it's only going to strengthen you and help you. That's how you have wisdom. I don't want to be subject to the lender. Mm. You know, I, the Lord, he got us out of debt as a church here. And I'm telling you, he could do it for you. You know, my friend Mike Ware told me, he said a lot of times churches don't ever try to do those things because they really don't think it can be done. But it, we did it. God did it. Supernaturally. We put them first. We've been generous. Yeah. Let me ask you this question when it comes to money. What is your attitude towards the poor? When you drive at Walmart and you see a guy on the corner with a sign, how, what does your heart say to you? You get bitter about it? You get angry about it? It doesn't mean you have to do anything for him. Do you drive by and pray for him? I mean, sometimes those are scams. You can't be naive. But what does your heart say? How about when you see someone in dire straits? What, what, do, do you, the Bible says don't Hold, don't harden your heart. Be open. I'm telling you, the opportunities to bless people exist. And if you'll be led by the Lord, and he'll open that up for you. Mm. Yeah, I want more wisdom when it comes to wealth. How about you? Yeah, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this people who are hungry for the things of the Lord. Hungry to grow in your word. I, I pray, Lord, mm. I, ooh, you know, I, I feel it. I feel the release of debt. It, it, we just said that in Deuteronomy 15 and verse 1. Yeah. At the end of every seven years, God will grant a release of debt. Now, Brother Corey, I don't really even know your situation financially at all, but the Lord's highlighted me over here. Corey Brzezinski, is that you back here, bro? I want to pray over you. I feel like the Lord's going to bless you financially. Reach your hand out to this man. I don't even know what you're going through. So, Lord, I thank you. 
Father, a release of debt in his life. Father, I thank you for supernatural increase. I, I pray, Lord, mm, the favor of the Lord. Give him, Lord, thank you for opening up your heart, his heart. And I pray, Lord, that release of debt, whatever that is, whatever that burden is, supernatural, show yourself strong in his behalf. I pray that over him in Jesus' name. Yeah, I feel like the Lord's going to give you a lot of peace. Like, like some, I think you've been stressed out financially. I don't know if that's true, but the Lord is going to bless you. So you can be a blessing. In Jesus' name. Dude, I walked by you, man. I just felt it. <laughs> I felt the goodness of the Lord. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, man. Lord, I thank you. <laughs> I thank you, Lord. Good measure, pressed out, shaking together, running over. <laughs> Father, I thank you. <laughs> Lord, I, have you all just want to receive from the Lord? Let, just open your hand. I'm telling you, Lord, I, I, I just thank you. This people is going to be blessed. And <laughs> bless had to tell bless them Lord every way God give them better jobs I pray an increase of finances I pray an increase of wisdom Lord I thank you for your hand upon them yeah nothing missing nothing broken Lord I thank you for a prosperous strong people who are able to be a blessing in the name of Jesus I feel it man I've often said that Billings reminds me a little bit like Goshen in the Bible You know, like, uh, there was darkness in Egypt, but light in Goshen. I feel like we live in this really unique spot. Like, it feels insulated from problems. And not to say that problems may not come, but I'm just saying, man, God knows how to bless and take care of his people. I'm grateful for that. Mm. Amen and amen, boy. Stand up with me this morning. Father, I just bless them. I bless them in Jesus' name. I thank you they're the head, not the tail. They're above only and not beneath. I thank you for a great, mighty people. Yeah. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I just declare it over them. Bless them. Increase them, Lord, this year in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of famine, in the midst of craziness in the world. I just thank you for the favor of God, the faithfulness of the Lord, the hand of the Lord upon them. Every way in the name of Jesus. Bless them head to toe. Show yourself strong on their behalf. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey. You know what I feel? I feel like sometimes you get condemning of yourself. And uh, I feel the Lord's grace. This is the greatest thing about God. He's so gracious. He, uh, if you feel like you screwed up on something, all it takes is that acknowledgement, that repentance, that heart to say, Lord, I, I want to correct this. And you watch as God steps in with his grace. That's what I feel is grace and mercy in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Now, I am supposed to do a baptism for a young lady. I don't know if she made it out. She's supposed to come down from Bozeman. And I checked my message before she left, so uh, I hadn't seen her in here today. But if you want to get baptized, I got a nice hot tub back there for you. It must be 100 degrees back there, so. <laughs> and, you know, if people come from Bozeman to get baptized, and the weather being what it is today, you got to give them credit for coming out. If <laughs> so, oh, man, I, I tell you what, I feel the love of God for you. Mm. His goodness. I want you to know we love you. We're praying for you, and uh, if you need prayer, the altars are open. We will catch you all next Sunday morning. We love you very much. Amen.